During the time of the Protestant Reformation, there was a French pastor named John Calvin, and Calvin spent most of his time serving the church in Switzerland. And Calvin was one of these great thinkers, and he brought about a lot of challenges to those who had departed from the central teachings of the Christian faith. But as he brought forward these teachings and embraced the five solas that we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, he met a great amount of opposition. In fact, he faced so much opposition that at one point he was driven out of the city of Geneva and he had to fight back, bringing the truth to, with him to the city and to the world, trying to tell people that there, there were essentials to the Christian faith, but there was other stuff that was happening that was non-essential. There was essentials that were missing and, and they had to reclaim this. After a long, hard battle by Calvin and others, there had become a spiritual breakthrough. And Calvin, he celebrated this breakthrough. He was so excited about what was happening. And so he created this motto, or he used this motto, which was a rather dramatic Latin phrase, which was post-tenebrous looks. Post-tenebrous looks means after-darkness light. Calvin celebrated that after there had been this darkness of a, of a lack of understanding about the truth, that there had been this breakthrough, and now people were living in light of the truth. And so he celebrated that, but that was only just the beginning. It was a beginning because he knew that people had spent so long in darkness that now they had to be led in the light, and he knew that this had to be intentional. And that's what I'm hoping we'll think about today, is how do we live in light of what we've been looking at over the last number of weeks? We've, of course, been looking at the five solas, or five essential teachings of the Christian faith. We've looked at the idea that Scripture alone is our authority. We've looked at how the fact that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ Jesus alone. And we've also talked about how all of that and all of our lives are meant for the glory of God alone. So how then? How then do we live in the light? If we believe these truths, and I hope you've been challenged over the last number of, of weeks to think about how you can understand these truths better. I know I've been challenged, and so the question then is, is how do I live it? How do I embrace this with the whole of my life? And I think one of the best places to go for that answer is to the letter of 1 Peter. And this is a letter that Peter wrote to the church to encourage them. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses of that chapter. But thinking about this, this comes out of this idea that we're going to be looking at Scripture alone and understanding that our, our salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Therefore, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, 
See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. So just as Peter has given us a wonderful introduction, the the chapter before this one we see here, he is leading people towards thinking about how they can live. And that's what we're doing. We've seen this wonderful introduction of these five solas, and now the question is, how are we going to live? And I think the two go together so well. And there's all this imagery that Peter uses. He, he talks about a newborn needing the food that they need to grow. He uses this image of, of stones being built into a temple where God will be worshipped. But in light of what we're talking about, we see in verse 9 and 10 that he says this image of, of being from darkness brought into light. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Peter wants us as followers of Jesus to know that we are chosen people, that we've been chosen out of the darkness, this place where we exist without him, and we've been brought by him to live in the light with him, to to bring him worship as we have the light of the Holy Spirit living within us. And so this brings us back. You know, everything's for the glory of God alone. And, And we saw last week as we talked about that, that we're this temple for the Holy Spirit. And and just like we read about earlier in this chapter in verses 4 and 5, we're being built up for God's glory. And so just as we're built up for God's glory, we've received this enlightenment. We've been called into the light so that we can then shine a light on God. And so the question then is, is how do we do it? That's the question I'm asking as we go through this series. And I think this passage does good to show us five different ways that we can live in the light. There's five ways that we can live in the light found in this passage. And the first is found in in verse 1 and verse 11, and that is to avoid sin. 
Right off the top, he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And then in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls and to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they see our good deeds and glorify our God in heaven. What's interesting here is that Peter's telling us just because we've been brought from darkness to light doesn't mean that the darkness stops chasing us. Our salvation is a one and done thing. Once God has rescued us from death, we stay with him. But while we live in the light, darkness will try to creep in. We, once we follow Jesus, face increased temptation. We, we face increased desires that do not conform with God. And, and that's because there's a spiritual war raging on that fights for, for us and against us. And, and the enemy of God does not want us to, to shine God's light any further. And so he does what he can to bring temptation and to blind us to the light and to darken our reflection of God. Later on in this, in this book, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we read this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Y'all, the, the devil is out to hunt us down, to, to tarnish our, our reflection of God. It's not that we're torn away from him, but we, we become disconnected from God. There's a wedge driven between us and him because of our sinful desires. And so we have to push against that, not just theoretically, but in practice. If, you, if you're tempted to gossip all the time, you need to maybe pray or read your Bible before you go into the lunchroom to, to talk with others. If, if your temptation is to look at things that you shouldn't, put your computer in the living room where it's with the whole family. If your temptation's to drink a little too much, then maybe you need to find a new route to drive home so you don't keep going past that liquor store. If you keep being tempted to, to blow up in anger uh, or with certain people or in certain places, you need to prepare yourself before you meet with those people or go to those places to, to say to God, God, help me walk through this. And, you know, that's actually a practice that I have been uh, finding is super helpful for me when I uh, face temptation, and, and that's just to pray. And you know what I found is it's not just when I pray, but oftentimes when I pray out loud. And at first it feels sort of weird and, and you're, you're kind of praying out loud, maybe at the not the most opportune moment. But there's something about, about standing there and, and calling on God that just has helped me to resist the enemy. And so I'd invite you to consider that maybe as a way to resist the enemy. Because that's what we got to do if we live in the light. We got to push against the darkness. And so we have to do whatever we can spiritually and practically to, to resist the enemy. And another practical way we can do that, another way we can live wisely in the light is what we read in verse 2, in verse 2, which says that we got to feed ourselves. He says, that Peter says this, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you might grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just like a baby needs milk, we need spiritual nourishment to, to tend to our souls. And just like a baby needs to go from milk to learning how to eat on their own, we have to go from, from being fed by others to 
feeding ourselves. And this is a really important thing in the journey as followers of Jesus. But I don't think enough people do it. I don't think enough people spend time well, nourishing themselves with God's word. I think we spend a lot of our time relying on, on messages like this, maybe once a week or a couple times a week, or we, we depend on a Bible study once a week or every couple weeks to, to be our healthy source that will get us through and help us to grow. But come on, really? Like, does that work? Would we do that with our own physical health? Would you just have a healthy meal once or twice a week and expect it to grow and to bulk up and to be fit and healthy? Well, no, you wouldn't. You would just say, well, it's great that, that I had a couple good meals, but really I'm sickly, and if I'm in a growing stage, I can actually stunt my growth by doing that. So why do we do that to ourselves physically? If we want to come back to this image of the light, I mean, think about what it takes for a fire to burn. It needs oxygen. It needs the right combustible material. It, it needs that spark. Well, the spark has been lit by God, and so it's our job to keep fanning that flame, keep blowing the air on it. It's our job to keep fueling the fire so that it can rage. And so we do this by adding God's word into our lives. One of the things that you might need to do over this next season is to just to pick up your Bible and, and read through it. Focus on some verses that can, can help lead you. And one of the things that you got to do is not just pick it up and read it and then close the Bible or flip to your next app, but you need to actually sit and, and ponder the words, pray through the words, reflect on it, allow it to feed you, to actually spend time chewing on it and allow that to, to bring you nourishment. If you're looking for something to read, I would encourage you to look at the Gospel of Matthew. And I don't pick that sort of out of the air, but I pick that because that's where we're going as a church over the next season. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at the, the Christmas account there as we go through Advent. And even after uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to dive into the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through the book to see what it tells us about Jesus and his kingship. But don't just expect to listen to a message and grow. And I hope that as we do that, that I, I help give you some good food that will fuel you up and feed you through the week. But, but that's just one serving. And you, so you take a few verses each day so that when you come and listen to the message, that instead of getting your whole meal for the whole week, that you just get some extra stuff that just kind of goes on top. It's the gravy that, that sort of sweetens the deal and, and, and spend more time growing on your own than you do here. So here's just the bonus for the rest of the week. And so that gives us a couple of, of examples. A third example, though, that Peter gives us is here just people of the light to respect authorities. He says this is something that's dramatically different than you see in the world. And so in verses 13 to 15, he says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Do you have a hard time with this? I mean, I think it's, 
It's tough for a lot of us to respect the authorities that we have here on earth, whether it's the government, whether it's our boss, whether it's our parents. If we're, you know, living at home, these things, uh, sometimes we, we struggle with them and we have disagreements. But the problem is, is when we move from disagreeing to being disrespectful or unloving. You know, when the, the authorities in your life get under your skin, it's because of your sin. When you start to be disrespectful and unloving, it's not because of the disagreement you have with the authority. It's because your sin is beginning to come into your life. We can have disagreements with the authorities in our life, and there may even be times in history where we're called to, to, to be disobedient to our authorities, to stand for principles that God has put forward for his people in his kingdom. But when it's not that, or even when it is that, we still do so with love and respect. God has established the ruling authorities in our lives, and so we are called to love and respect them. But sadly, I, I just know so many Christians who are rude and disrespectful. I see some people posting on social media just outright disrespectful things about politics and, and leaders in the world right now. I see and hear about people who are disrespectful about their employers or who, who kind of mouth off about their parents. And this is not living in the way of light. That's living in the way of darkness. Now, I'm not saying agree with every leader's political stance. I'm not telling you to not voice your concerns or challenge a boss or, or your parents when you disagree with them. Uh, but what I'm telling you to do is that God calls you to do so with love and respect because he ultimately is in control and we are to follow what he calls us to. Which leads us to what else Peter says in verse 17. And he says in verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Just as we're called to respect our authorities, whether that's government, whether it's our employers, whether it's our families, we're also called to follow and respect everyone else. We're called to serve them and love them because not only does God establish governments and certain authorities, but God establishes the life of every single person. And I think over the last season, we have not been seeing people love and respect everyone. I mean, all across our country, I can think of examples that have happened over the last number of months. People disrespecting others because of their stance on wearing masks. People disagreeing and being unloving and disrespectful about political views or things like racial reconciliation. We've seen a lot of people be divided and, and disrespectful over faith matters. And now, I'm not calling us to, again, to agree with everyone, but what I'm urging us to do is to love and respect people. Everyone deserves this love and respect for them being a person who is made in the image of God. Every person you encounter, even the person you dislike the most, you disagree with them on everything, even that person God loves just as much as he loves you. They're created in God's image just as much as you are. And so we're called then to love them and respect them. You know, one of the hard things is I think this is, this is the place where the darkness is winning in our world most. I, I don't say that because I think it's a lost cause. I, I know that one day Jesus will return and he will establish his kingdom in its fullness and we won't have this lack of love and respect. But I think that right now 
that we are just so antagonistic, we're so disrespectful with everyone, and it's so easy to do so. But just as much as this isn't a lost cause for Jesus one day, I think Jesus also calls his church around this, and he says, you know what, you can do this. You can make a dent in the darkness with your light if only you would deal with others with love and respect. And finally, we see there's another place to extend love. We see that we should extend love to the church. In verse 17, he says, love the family of believers. Now, this doesn't deal with all the hurts we've experienced, and and this doesn't deal with all the disagreements around theology, but whether we've been hurt in the past or we have disagreements in the present, we're, we're still called to love the believers. We're called to love other followers of Jesus and love his church. You know, we can't be responsible for the actions of others and their heart posture, but we can be responsible for our own. We are responsible for our actions, our attitudes, our our heart posture before God and before others. We cannot be attacking the church. The church is under attack by the enemy of God 24-7. There's so much of darkness in the world that's attacking the church on the regular, so the church doesn't need to be attacked from the inside out. The goal of darkness is to divide the light, but Jesus invites us and tells us when we're unified, we most represent who God is, and so we are called to love the church. We can do this in all sorts of ways. We can spend time praying for our brothers and sisters within the church. We can spend time praying for other Christians that the Holy Spirit would embolden them and empower them and that he would shine his light through them in our community. We can pray for other churches. You know, as much as I hope Emmanuel grows and that we see people winning people for the kingdom of God, that we see people carving darkness out of their life and shining more light, I pray that just as much, even not more, for the other churches in our community. You know, I'd be happy, I'd be overjoyed if we saw other churches growing as much, if not more, than us because it means that the kingdom of God is advancing in our community against the darkness. For every life that's taken from the darkness into the light, we ought to celebrate whether they're a part of this church or not, whether they have some disagreement on other areas of theology that are non-essential or not. We need to celebrate and support them. And we can practically do that by spending time and encouraging those believers who we disagree with on non-essential issues. You know, in, in, a, in a, the essential theologies and things like these five solos, we have to have unity. But in those non-essentials, there's got to be some liberty. But in all of these matters, with others within the church, we have to show love. And this even extends to forgiving those who have hurt us in the church. Now, I'm not asking you to forget what has happened. I'm not asking you to trust those who have hurt you. I'm not saying don't seek restitution or reconciliation. I'm not saying don't uh, hold people accountable. And In fact, if, if you have been hurt within our church, I would urge you to talk to myself or Pastor Dennis or one of the elders and and allow us to, to walk with you and help you uh, sort through the mess because we don't want our, our church to be a place of brokenness but a place of healing. 
And so if, if this is you, don't hear me saying stop pursuing that. But, but what I do mean by this is, you know what, people are wrong, but that doesn't stop us from the call to love the church. And so one of the things that we can do to be Christ-like is to extend forgiveness to others just as Christ has extended forgiveness to us. I know that's a radical concept, but all of this is a radical concept. Each one of these five ways of living life in the light is radical. I mean, how crazy is it to, to abstain from our own desires to chase after the desires of God? How, how crazy is it that we would choose to feed ourselves instead of giving in to the, the consumer culture that says that everyone should do stuff for me? Respecting authorities or, or others who we disagree with, especially when we disagree with them, is, is, is radical right now. It's just not happening all over the place. And, and so we shine light in darkness when we do that. You know, when we love the church... That's crazy to so much of the world. I mean, the world lies about the church. There's so many lies about how the church is unlovable and it, it doesn't do anything and it's not making a difference because we really are. And so by loving the church, by loving other believers, even the, the broken and messy ones, which we really all are, even when we do that, we do a countercultural, radical thing. We live in the light instead of the darkness. You know, we're 40 days. Today, we're 40 days away from a new year. Isn't that the perfect number of days for us to consider making a difference? What if for 40 days, every single person who calls Emmanuel their home church, everyone who listens to this message, what if all of us for 40 days committed to choosing even one of these five areas to commit to? Would we say, you know what, God, I am going to live in your light instead of darkness in this area for the next 40 days. Uh, imagine the impact that would happen because of that. I mean, choose one. If you've been struggling with sin in your life, choose intentionally every day for 40 days to make changes to your plans, to deviate from places where you sin, to embrace a lifestyle of purity and holiness. Uh, find people who can hold you accountable. Confess your sin to others and allow them to process that with you and to help lead you in the light. If you haven't been spending time in the Word, choose every day for the next 40 days to even read a couple verses. Just a couple verses that you can chew on and think about and allow those to feed your soul. If you've been guilty of not showing others respect, commit that for the next 40 days that you're not going to say something bad about them. Even better, over the next 40 days, say that every single day you're going to find a way to show that person you love them, to show that person that you respect them. And imagine how that would change. 40 days of love and respect, how that would change a relationship and how others would see the difference that happens in that relationship. Over the next 40 days, maybe consider loving the church supporting, encouraging other believers, not just here at Emmanuel, but in other churches and other communities that you know as well. 40 days really isn't that long, but it's long enough for us to make a radical difference. If over 300 people who, who call Emmanuel Church home, who, who participate in our services, if we each 
If every one of us for every day committed to shine the light for the next 40 days, I believe we would make a difference in the lives of our family, our friends, our neighbors, and that we could see a real difference in our community. So let's remember, we are no longer children of the darkness, but we are hard-won, hand-chosen children of God who live in the light. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you love us, for the fact, God, that you rescued us from darkness and brought us into light. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live in us to to fan the flame, to, to allow us to be a holy people that reflect you. And God, I pray that we would do that. Lord, I pray for everyone who listens to this message Lord God, would you speak into them some way in which they can grow in your light? Holy Spirit, would you impress on every single one of us, one of these five, or, or even something else that one of us needs to hear, would you impress on us something that we need to do to grow in the light, to advance your light into the darkness so that your light would, would shine greater in new territory? God, I pray that as we commit to this as a church for the next 40 days, Lord God, will we see an incredible impact that would change our community? Would we change the lives of our friends, of our neighbors, of our children? Holy Spirit, would you give us the bravery, the courage, the the words to say, the the right thoughts to think, the, the right habits to form? Would you give us those things so we can be better reflections of you? And will we do that all for your glory. And God, we thank you that we can pray this and have certainty that it will be accomplished because it's what you call us to do and you've already shown us your power. And so we pray this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.